This week, we are speaking with Aubrey Richardson, who um, reminds us that we can find sacred text in a variety of places that lie outside of the biblical text. And so um, I wanted to read this poem called Resignation by Nikki Giovanni. And it's mostly for you to contemplate the divine or rather it's kind of like what I would call a uh, song of Solomon's um, for the modern day. So here we go. I love you because the earth turns round the sun, because the north wind blows north sometimes, because the Pope is Catholic and most rabbis Jewish, because winters flow into springs and the air clears after a storm because only my love for you, despite the charms of gravity, keeps me from falling off this earth into another dimension. I love you because it's the natural order of things. I love you like the habit I picked up in college of sleeping through lectures or saying I'm sorry when I get stopped for speeding because I drink a glass of water in the morning and chain smoke cigarettes all through the day because I take my coffee black and my milk with chocolate. Because you keep my feet warm, though my life a mess. I love you because I don't want it any other way. I am helpless in my love for you. It makes me so happy to hear you call my name. I am amazed you can resist locking me in an echo chamber where your voice reverberates through the four walls, sending me into a spasmatic ecstasy. I love you because it's been so good for so long that if I didn't love you, I'd have to be born again. And that is not a theological statement. I am pitiful in my love for you. The Dells tell me love is so simple. The thought though of you sends indescribably delicious multitudinous thrills throughout and through in my body. I love you because no two snow flowers are like, and it is possible if you stand tippy-toed to walk between the raindrops. I love you because I am afraid of the dark and can't sleep in the light because I rub my eyes when I wake up in the morning and find you there because you with all your magic powers were determined that I should love you because there was nothing for you, but that I would love you. I love you because you made me want to love you more than I love my privacy, my freedom, my commitments and responsibilities. I love you because I changed my life to love you because you saw me one Friday afternoon and decided that I would love you. I love you. I love you. I love you.
Welcome to Pursuing Call, a place where we explore what God is up to in our lives so that we can participate in God's mission for the world. Find out more at pursuingcall.com. Let's get started. Hey, y'all. Welcome to this week's episode of Pursuing Call with me, your host, Tamara Plummer. Hopefully that intro got you in the mood to talk about sacred text and theology and all kinds of fun things with Aubrey. Um, super caveat right now is Aubrey is from the South and I am from New York and it took me about halfway through this interview to realize we we speak at different speeds and so, um, it's going to throw, it threw me for a loop when I was editing, but maybe it's not so much throwing you for a loop. Um, just buckle up with your ADD, uh, medication and a pen and a paper to write down all the awesome books that we talk about and reference in this conversation. Um, If you don't know, I have started to collate those books into a book shop list. You can check that out at bookshop.org slash shop slash pursuing call. You can, uh, you'll see the link in the description, but check that out to get a hold of any of the books that we end up talking about in this conversation. He is an English major. And so, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Buckle up, get ready. See you on the back end. Bye. Oh, okay. Um, My name is Aubrey Richardson, a Jacksonville native, Duval County, 904. Y'all know. (laughs) Um, Oh, born in, you know, Grew up in the church for sure. Um, grew up Pentecostal actually. Uh, what was your home church? Harvest. Your childhood church? Um, Titus Harvest Dome Spectrum Church. Um, under the, the leadership of the late apostle, Pastor R.J. Washington. Mm. Um, he passed away in 2017 um, of cancer. I want to honor him. Um, he actually uh, touched my mom's womb and told her that I was going to be a, a minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been playing church ever since. <laughs> Are you one of those kids that play I'm church? I'm one of those kids. <laughs> oh, if I was in the past, we wasn't playing. Yeah, well, I, we was not playing. I was, um, I was serious. And like, but also too, I was, I was also around my dad's side of family too. So I would spend weekends over there. So I was, sometimes, you know, I was in the Baptist space as well too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm well versed in that aspect. Um, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned yet the most important part. That you um, are a Morehouse man. I'm a graduate of Morehouse College. Um, graduated with a, a BA in English. Um wants to give a shout out to three professors, Dr. Nathaniel Normand, Dr. Adrian Welcher, and Dr. Corey Claiborne. Um, then after that, I went on to pursue a Master of Divinity in Theology at Virginia University. And now I'm currently at Union Theological Seminary. Are you trying to be a doctor of divinity? Is that, was that the goal um, in coming to Union? PhD. I want to do PhD work um, between ethics or English. Mm-hmm. Um, I love literary works, um, 
specifically African-American literature. Um, Who was the first book writer, African-American lit book that you fell in love with? Oh my God, I don't want to pronounce his name wrong. Christopher Curtis. Mm, I've not heard this name. He wrote a book called But Not Buddy. But Not Buddy. But Not Buddy. Um, it was about a um, black male in a foster home. Um, I fell in love with, and I, I want to say my mom said we still have the tapes because we're like, we, you know, I am a part of that generation where I had, we had the little cassette tapes and we let it play. Um, and mom had it, it was written in green, that but not buddy label. Um, but the book is a blue cover with gold writing on it and it says, but not buddy. Um, and I don't know if they changed the cover, but the last, the one I had, copy I had, he was sent on the briefcase. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the first book um, text. Now, that's a chapter book. Now, if I can go back further, yeah, it'll be Uncle Ted's Barbershop that I recall. Okay. An Amazing Grace. Um, so, yeah, those are the texts that um, I do re recall as a child. Um, just to go back, it is, it's those works that actually introduced me to my work around African-American literature, sacred texts. Uh, because as a kid, playing church, if we didn't see, if I, if I didn't see the Bible, I would literally grab a text with black faces on it mm. or something that looked familiar um, to, my, to my context, my life experience. Um, and I would just read from there. It did not hit me until I actually got to Virginia Union, to be honest. Um, I couldn't name it um, as I was going through um, primary and secondary school. Um, but when I got to graduate school, it was really like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Um, and a lot of people have said it before. Um, it was to the point where also too, when I was in 11th grade, I would bring my Bible to class because I didn't want to read none of that stuff that they had because I was just like, this is not entertaining. So I would just bring the Bible to, and I would just be like, okay, let's see what's in here today. Um, Wait, hold on. I just want to back up and just confirm that you were saying that in high school instead of reading whatever you needed to read for class your alternative option was reading the bible yes um i had a um and let, I, i'm gonna go back to i'm gonna go back even further than that too before um after this story but my mama had a conference with my um uh, teacher miss um miss coots i still communicate with her till this day and i'll tell you why in a few my mom had a meeting with her and she um, had a meeting. She said, Aubrey, you know, he's reading, you know, however, he is a social butterfly and all this stuff. And she was like, okay, I need to see proof of him reading. And she said, well, he reads his Bible. I let him read his Bible in the class. And she said, uh, mom said, no, that's not, that's not it. She said, it actually is because these are books. <laughs> Within, so whatever he gets from, he gets from it. He can put it down on his thing, as long as he's reading. And I forever am indebted to her because 
I failed the third grade. Mm. Um, in the state of Florida, they had came up with a test called the FCAT. I was, my class, all the students of that year that were in third grade were the first ones to take that test. It was a last minute test, like a month before summer began. Mm -hmm. And if you did not pass that test, you were retained. Mm. Um, I was retained. And I actually like stopped loving reading because I felt the reading portion of the test. And if it was not me doing an assignment, I wasn't reading. So mm. I stopped reading, honestly, till 11th grade. Mm. So now, you know, do I regret it? I'm just like, yes. Because uh, now I'm learning these words. And I'm just like, okay, what's that? But um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that. Before. I got to look up eschatology every single time. <laughs> Listen, right. Like, make sure I understand this. Um, but I look at it now, I'm just like, it's part of the story. Um, she brought me back to, to love reading. Mm -hmm. um, to the point I made one of the highest scores on my ACTs in my school. Um, and then I went to Morehouse. Actually, I started my degree in sociology. And I was like, okay, this teacher is monotone. But this is not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. So I went to the English department. Went to the English department and just started from there. But when I would do my work, um, my professor, Dr. Claiborne, always tells me, she said, use the right sermons, like on your paper, like the, 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 the paper was not a paper. It was a sermon. It was a sermon. She was like, you <laughs> literally did an exegesis on, on your papers. Mm -hmm. um, it was one on playing on the dark, playing in the dark by Toni Morrison. Okay. Where I fell in love with Morrison and her class. Um, American Lit 2 was the course. Um, and we, that was something that we had to read to get an understanding of, okay, in order for y'all to understand this, y'all gonna have to remove the white gaze. And she literally used that tech playing in the dark to do that. And ever since then, I'm like, okay, let me take them out my, <laughs> move them out I mean, mind. Morrison, it's so interesting because I just finished so Song of Solomon, which I, it's taken me two years to read because I am not, I love books. I have many of them and I am a very slow reader. And then oh, Morrison yeah. got the emotional content on top of it. You got to be like, let me take a pause. <laughs> so like, I like I tell anybody, because anybody, well, oh, you a Morrison scholar. I'm like, I'm becoming. It's mm -hmm. like it's balanced to read her work. It really mm -hmm. is. Um, and you'll never understand it because you're always seeing something new. Yep. Um, and also I'll that she has removed the white gaze and yet it is eternally present in the ways in which it is eternal, like the white supremacy is eternally present. Right. And yet there are like, I think in Song of Solomon, there might be like two named white people ever in the entire text. And but yet they're, right. they're oppression present. is present. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, I'm, they're here, but they're not here. Yeah. And that's how she does. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah, Mor Morrison is literally like, she's a part of my intellectual trinity. I, I truly appreciate her because it's, it helps me how, it helps me to write but also to live. Mm. Um, so wait, who's, who's the other two people in the trinity? Oh, I will say Morrison, definitely Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon. Um, never had the opportunity to meet her, but while I was at 
um, Virginia Union, I was able to sit up under her um, star student and her mentee. Um, those are only two ones that she claimed as her daughters. Um, and I, they literally taught me the methodologies, um, the beliefs. We even had a, she even created a course for us to take on the life and work of Dr. Cannon. So, um, and that's where I was able to do my African-American and sacred text work um, by looking at black male formation. And I would actually say Baldwin. Mm. But um, if I would not say Baldwin, more, most definitely it would be the living legend, Dr. Jeremiah Wright, sure. Mm. Um, so I would say I'll have four, to be honest. Yeah, because, that's fine. Yeah. I you can have four. <laughs> because, yeah, Dr. Jeremiah Wright is a huge influence in my life. Mm. Um, and him and Morrison do a lot of um, removing the white heteronormative gaze from um, whether it's in the church, the academy, and the mm -hmm. general public they're doing. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's there. It's Morrison is that Morrison is that chick, but it's just <laughs> it's just hard. It's just hard to actually um, get through her work. Um, like currently, right now, I have on my shelf Paradise. Mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. never. I have opened that book about fifty times, and I get <laughs> through like the first two pages or something. I'm like, I I gotta put this down and come back. <laughs> I have to go back and like anytime I stop reading, I do have to go back. Um, I think the furthest I've got was probably I want to say like the second or third chapter mm. because I'm always going back. You're making me I, feel a lot better about myself. I promise you. <laughs> I, when it comes to Morris, I'm just like, oh, I understand. I promise you. Mm. But like, what makes what makes that text so interesting is like they shot the white girl first. I'm like, this is your first line. It's like automatically, okay, we're moving, we're moving whiteness out the way. I need y'all, I need y'all to have like, I need you to bring yourself into this space and mm. remove those out of the way. So yeah. Um, and why is that practice? That sounds like it's a, a divine practice for you too, like this removal of the white gaze. How what how does that connect to your um spirituality or your understanding of the divine? Removing the white gaze helps me to be if that makes sense. Um, I feel like with us embodying whiteness, we're not able to be our full self. And just um, because we're not gonna be showing a video, you should say that you are not clearly a white person. <laughs> oh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, a white, I'm not a white person for sure. <laughs> Look, black, then Christian faith. There um, you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it literally allows me to be this um, black, being um that knows that they're created in the, in the image of god in the imago day so yeah i um that's a big thing for me like anytime somebody says something off the wall i'm like okay hold on check your whiteness mm -hmm. okay and i need you to sit in it correct that um, sometimes we got to do that with our black brothers and sisters as well right right <laughs> Um, our mutual friend Kim 
gets a kick out of it. Anytime I see someone, I'm like, check your whiteness, and she'll bust out because it's just a real thing. And some, honestly, you have to check yourself too. Yeah. Um, check I, internalized I, depression right there, buddy. Listen, <laughs> I have to check myself sometimes too. Um, so yeah, it's this room that white gaze, and I can like we really have to actually understand that we are we embody a lot of it you know so it's just to even to the point of category categorization mm-hmm. which is hard to break away from mm. um i'm taking this queer and ethics class and you know my work is around black masculinity and i was reading a article on um about one of the great womanist ethicists ever, Dr. Emily um, Towns, mm. Dean at Vanderbilt University, a divinity school. Um, and she was speaking about how using a, a queering eye is breaking away from um, categorization. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, the the my my one of my best moments at union was um when we did it was a 103 so we did queer theology you know like you just survey all the liberation theologies or whatever right. when we got to to queer theology it was the first time i could accept salvation as a thing wow because i just i'm like i don't know that jesus christ died for my sins because i don't know what i'm being saved from like, I just, I could not, I can't, I can't figure out what the hell I'm being saved from if I That's am a good, beloved man. creation of God. So like, what do I need to be saved from? Right. <laughs> I don't understand salvation. But that's but then, real. It's, it's real to me. I'm like, so me and me, and, of course, me and uh, Dean Kelly Brown Douglas, she'd be like, Tamara, you need to sit with your soteriology. <laughs> I'm like, but, but Dean Kelly, what are we being saved from? <laughs> I don't understand. Um, and then queer theology was like Jesus, the moment of the crucifixion is the divine and the human, the death and the life all happening at the same time. Therefore, there is no categorization there, like that we are being saved from categorizing ourselves into these molds of being that are something that is not divine spirit living in our world. I was like, well, then, yes, I would like to be saved from that. Save me. <laughs> Save me. Save me from that. In the words of Leandra Johnson, deliver me from that. Deliver me from that. (laughs) If that is what Christ does, then yes, I am here for it. (laughs) No, honestly, that's like in Flesh and Freedom, um, Dr. Um, M. Sean Copeland. Yes, she's she's finally on my bookshelf, so she's next. I tell you. Let me tell you something. Page 63 through 65, where she speaks of how Jesus goes against the cultural definition of what masculinity is, mm-hmm. blesses me <laughs> always. Always. I'm like, that's a whole entire thesis. Okay. It really is. Um, so yeah, I yeah, that there. And she speaks of the categorization of everything. And so it's just like, yeah, like I, that's what Jesus died for. That's amazing. Yeah. If that's salvation, if salvation is saying you shall not be categorized or boxed into 
a way of being that limits your capacity and your ability to move through the world, then yeah, let's queer up some, like queer theology is the only thing that has brought me salvation. (laughs) And the works of, the works of black women, Mm. like the book that saved me in seminary, kid you not, is Katie's Canon. Okay. Um, and Black Womanist Ethics. Say why? Um, because that's where I was able to find how to use literary works in the theo- in theology. And also too, it made me to check myself as a Black male. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, yes, Cone is amazing. Cone is amazing, love yeah. him. Um, I thank God for him. I thank God for Dr. J, um, Cameron Carter, um, Dr. Willie, Jen, uh, Willie James Jennings. It's the work of Black women for me that just. Well, there are students who then were challenging them and helped them to grow too, you know, like right. the Dolores Williams, the Kelly Brown Douglases, right. the Towns, the Copelands. The, you know, right. I'm just like, I, I love it. Like, and one of my favorite womanist ethicists of all time, for sure, is Dr. Ebony Marshall Turner. Her book Towards um, Towards a Womanist Ethics is everything. Chapter eight, a problem of um, a problem with moral may, uh, men. Mm. Say more because I haven't read it yet. She's on my list too. Things basically, I'm going to read after seminary. Basically, basically, she speaks of how actually my institution, Alma Mater Morehouse. Um, plays a role in this patriarchal formation of black men mm-hmm. and it's so true like it's it's very true and I appreciate her doing that but you know our work is surrounded around the body and she speaks on that um yeah like I literally was like oh my god I like I'm a part of that tradition where they have made us feel as though we have to embody this whiteness Mm. so I have to check that you know and I I, I I would not have found that in um a black cisgender work you yeah. know cisgender straight yeah right. <laughs> I just wouldn't have found that um and also too I was raised by black women I didn't have my father growing up yeah mm-hmm. you know, I saw him on weekends however he was not that model Mm-hmm. Um, of what I needed as a male role model. However, it was the the black women that raised me. So I've always, I'm always, you know, listened to their conversation. I've always tried to embody what they wanted in um, a partner mm-hmm. or what they wanted into a male friend or, you know, things of that nature. I've always mm-hmm. seen that. Um, but reading... Williams, reading Cannon, reading Mitchell, reading Terman, you know, reading all of them. And I just fell in love with Pauli Murray. Let's just praise, and then I'm just going to shout out the Episcopalian of all Episcopalians, Pauli Let's, Murray. <laughs> I've, I, I have got the first edition of her book um, in January. Shout out to Pauli. The, like, the revolutionary you know, um, the Polly Murrays, the Ella Bakers, the the people who 
do the work and then we forget that they did the work. Right. <laughs> Those are the people that I care about. I, people will say, oh, Tamara, don't you want to do this or do that and like have a name and launch it? I'm like, look, Polly, a lot of people don't know who the hell Polly Murray was until about two years ago. And there would be no civil rights bill without Polly Murray. There would be no women's rights bill, right. gender rights bill without Polly Murray. They would not be um, RBG without Car- Polly oh, Murray. Murray. So like, you don't know nothing about her, but Polly Murray, <laughs> there would be none of these things without Polly Murray. So I don't know. Polly is the HNIC. Do you hear me? Mm-hmm. Like Polly is it. I appreciate all that Polly has done. Um, it's because of Polly's work that we're here. Yeah. Um, so I want to make sure I honor. Um, Can I pause? I notice that you honor many people. You are very good at calling out who raised you. Oh, must. It's a must. Where does this come from? And has this always um, been a thing? So I grew up in a, so my family is like very, like when it comes to history, we're very, it's very, we're very serious about it. Um, lost my great grandfather last year. He was mm-hmm. yeah, 90, 94. And he always, every event had this, Thing for sharing the history of our family. Mm. Um, when I got licensed, I found out that my grandmother, my his mother, great great grandmother, started the church right next door mm. at this house, um, and she never received credit for it. Mm. Um, And just to be able to, just to know that, first of all, is why I honor those who have paved the way for me, because she definitely did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, I'm saying all that to say is that, you know, I would not be here if it was not for her witness, her social witness, mm-hmm. you know, and also those who, have paid the we that that are that remains on earth today. Mm-hmm. You know, so I am gonna show honor to Dr. Jeremiah Wright, Dr. Frederick Douglas Haynes, Dr. Gina Stewart, um, about to be Dr. Ayo Morton, um, Dr. Dominique Robinson, Reginald Shard, Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, Dr. Gary Dorian. Um, yeah yeah you you know it's just a must because it's because of their work that I was able to find my work Mm -hmm. but it's also their work is the reason I'm able to live so I have to I've I've always wanted to honor those because if you don't you know no one will know their names Mm -hmm. and then we'll create another poly and also I think it's um it, it flies in, in the face of white supremacy to remember the people that raised you. Right. Um, because there's, it's like the, the myth of the American dream or whatever that I have done a thing and I have right. been called into this thing to do this thing and I did it. 
with right. my own power and will with no one else participating. But no one else. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I, I tell you all, like I am, this is why I'm here because others were here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, yeah. um, the joke in my family is every, every reprimand begins with slave ships. And so <laughs> uh, it's cause for some interesting um, therapy sessions, but it would be like your ancestors come across the ocean, live, survive slavery, survive emancipation, come to the US and I clean white people's shit and you whatever right. did something wrong <laughs> like, do you know, know how many people try to make sure you could live a good life before you got here listen because that there you know and that's one thing like my mom has definitely instead of like that don't forget where you come from mm-hmm. you know and even though i've always told my family i will never move back to florida yeah i mean well florida. florida is a really hard place because florida i don't know that god lives in florida all the time it's, sometimes it's right hard. now the devil is running and his name is DeSantis. Uh-huh. Um, and he's best friends with uh 46 minus one 46 minus one yes um so yeah that there but i've always told you i was like i'm never move back but i'm always repping duval county mm-hmm. will always rep because you know thankfully there were some people that saw um saw the god in me Mm -hmm. i mean that's the zora neale hurston in you almost (laughs) listen you have that's the zora that's the april randolph that is thurman Mm -hmm. um as my professor uh dr corey claymore would always say that is your african-american southern theology Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) so Uh, how is that because for some people particularly people who are trying to think about masculinity in different ways hmm. that that is a theology that can be oppressive right like you have to be a certain particular kind of expression of blackness or else you are not then honoring the ancestors right um how did how did you grow to reconcile um, that, or how does how was it helpful in in getting you to where you have come theologically? I think in the, you talking about the Florida? Yeah, like that Florida Southern Black small church. I'm assuming. Um, Maybe it's big. <laughs> oh, the church. So I'm gonna be honest. It's fun that we're having this conversation because I was just telling my cousin how I also told my mom I said I love the city that did not love me back Mm. and um it was a very hard time Florida is very oppressive Mm -hmm. I'm giving a um presentation tomorrow one of my one with one of my classmates um Delisha Baz and we're speaking on Hurston Mm-hmm. And I was telling her, I said, I cannot critique her mm. because of the, it's, this is the environment she lives in. When it comes to her conservatism, well, y'all have to actually be, y'all have to live in that Florida life to understand her, the reason why she thought that she thought. Mm-hmm. Um, because though racism definitely exists 
as it did um, when she was alive. It exists today, and it is is just, you know, they make it seem as if everything is just, oh, this is normal. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that to say that I had to leave Jacksonville, Florida, to actually um, find myself mm-hmm. because the toxic black masculinity was definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, embodying whiteness for sure is there um the ideology of white allies you know the beliefs of white allyship was true there however and behind closed doors they're running you it's not an ally it's not an allyship it's they're, not an allyship <laughs> right you're enslaved um it is just Even with the homophobia and transphobia, all of that, like right now, I just found out that they just passed a bill of the don't say gay bill. Mm. Um, breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, I'm happy I got away because, because I know this, because I've experienced this, this is the time for me to go to Morehouse be in this community where there are individuals a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. Grab that, go to Spelman mm-hmm. and see that LGBTQIA plus community. And when I say go to, go to Spelman, y'all, I'm actually speaking of me going across going the across street. Going across the street. Right. <laughs> Um, shout out to the Spelman, Spelman women. I love them. Um, they actually are a part of my transformation as well, too. Mm-hmm. I would definitely say that because Morehouse was very, um, I love it so. However, it was very oppressive in a lot of ways. Um, but going to Atlanta, going to Richmond, Virginia, and getting this the theological perspective of everything and finding my own theological voice and now at Union um, and just to see all of this helped me to form what I want to do in Black male formation. Like, okay, let me. Yeah, let's describe that. What does that look like? What does Black male formation look like? So I'm looking at from the anthropology to um, of how we got here. And what's here? How do we how do we get to mirroring this white heteronormative in public? I'll say in public for sure. Um, white heteronormative in public um, masculinity, mm-hmm. or what um, or what the late Bell Hooks would refer to as white patriarchal masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I'm, oh, we're, we so um, we real cool. It's almost like um, I'm noticing a it's a trend that seems to be emerging in in my age generation that I did not think was possible, but um, a concept of liberation that looks like doing what white people do or living the way that white people live. Right. 
that if you have enough money, you have enough status, you have enough access to resources, that that's liberation. And I'm like, we have so strayed from that spiritual lesson of liberation (laughs) that we should be centering. No, honestly, like I, I look at that and I'm just like, how can, what is it to, what is it to be able to reimagine Mm. um this black masculinity and I have a hard time saying that masculinity because there is a negative it's white it's whitewashed to be honest mm-hmm. and I've been trying to find ways like okay how can I what's the name I could use for this what's the male version of womanist <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> exactly I'm like I'm trying to like like honest I don't went to Katie Katie Geneva Cannon's dissertation. I'm just like, just please speak to me. Cause I just, you know, it's it's really because I look at the works of Du Bois, I look at the works of Washington. Um, I just look at doc, um, I look at Dr. Dorian's work a lot. Um, and I'm just like, this right here is some toxic ass mess they got going on here. Mm. Um and how much they embodied this whiteness. And I'm just like, you know, yes, they're fighting. They're fighting for us. However, they can't be in some ways because their whiteness is showing. Mm. Um, so how can Aubrey um, find this new language to let people know, okay, this is what black masculinity actually is. If you move the toxicity from it, this is what Black masculinity is. Black masculinity is Baldwin. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is... Um, is there a text of Baldwin's or a book of Baldwin's that you feel like exemplifies? Go tell it on the mountain. Um, and honestly, it's hard for me to read Baldwin's work because it hits close to home. Mm. Um, to be called, um, and also if I, if I can mention his essay, um, The American Ideal of Manhood, okay, um, where it speaks about being, embodying this white, um, white, embodying white masculinity. But yeah, just to be called a sissy or because I do not embody um, this white system of masculinity, this white, uh, embody whiteness as a whole um, because you know oh in order for you to be the man you have to um, play sports be violent be violent <laughs> um, have you listened to the podcast um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill I have not and it's funny because I saw it on my phone I was like I need to put that on my uh, um, everyone I am saying it now, everyone should listen to it. And it's not to like demonize how, well, those people over there did church badly. It's like, this is happening. This is a system and a way of doing church that we, even in mainline traditions are trying to replicate now. Right. That is like, this is why you don't decenter Jesus. (laughs) Why you don't center male violent forms of expression like that that's 
that no if we're feeling a church with that energy like god Honestly. pray for us all <laughs> that's how we ended up with 45 let's, like <laughs> let's not let's talk about it that's how it <laughs> look don't make me shout because please shout <laughs> <laughs> can somebody get the v3 um, i mean that's how kanye has a church that people are thinking is you know it's interesting because this like a big part of that story is um people letting this white man do whatever he wanted because he was quote unquote bringing souls to Christ. And I can see that happen the same way with a Kanye who can do whatever he wants because he has, he has, you know, Sunday church thing and it's real good music and he's bringing souls to Christ. Meanwhile, we let a man with a mental illness, just like not take his medication or care for himself and then continue to harm other people. Yes. And there are women in this world who mess up a little bit. And then we're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> she yep. can't. She right. can't be the one. <laughs> they will literally go hardcore on, mm-hmm. on our sisters, on our siblings. And I just or like, like I, some out person will do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 no don't. <laughs> right. I'm just like, oh, no, we got, no, we, we got to check these brothers for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Though I, you know, I love, and I tell anybody, I don't believe in counseling anyone. However, I am going to correct. Mm-hmm. I am going to correct because that's what blackness is. You know, blackness is where your grandmama say, okay, come sit at this table real quick. We're going to have this. I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to make some coffee and we're going to discuss what you did, you know. Mm-hmm. But and at the end of the day, what grandma always say, I still love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that right there. Speaking of, let me tell you about, about since you're on the subject of Black women, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I just want to shout out um, a big sister of mine, Candice Bimbo. She just released a book called Red Lip Theology. I just started it on audiobook. Let me tell you something. That there, if you want to be set free, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be delivered, purchase that book for sure. And for um, black men, black uh, um, trans men, black queer men, um, and gender non-conforming. If you want a book to read as well, read "Shouting in the Fire" by Dante Stewart. Um, amazing. Um, yeah, I like. We really have a lot of the work to do when it comes to, and I really feel like this work on Black masculinity, once we can redefine it um, and give it a new language, I feel like not only will the masculine will be free, but the mm-hmm. feminine as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the thing, right? Like white pe- Black people can't be free without white people getting themselves free. Right. Like none of, you know, the, the whole, what is it? King's quote that we can't be free until all of us are free. Right. And, and I think that that is even particularly most important for the oppressor more than the oppressed. If the oppressor does not recognize their own humanity. Right. Like, look, they don't want to sit in their whiteness because sitting in your whiteness makes you want to, you, you have to sit in your truth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people don't want to sit in their truth. Mm-mm. Like, because it sucks. Look, when I get called out by my trans friend, like, ooh, that's this gender stuff is popping up for you to marry. And I'm like, oh, 
Yeah. I feel really bad about that. <laughs> you really I gotta, like when people say something, you'd be like, oh snap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. So you have to re you have to re reevaluate yourself in the midst of and just like, you know, it it does it get tiring? Yes, it, it yes, it does. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, I have so much to deconstruct for myself. Mm-hmm. Um like right now I'm writing my paper on black masculinity, my um STM extended paper. And how's it going? I am filled with mixed emotions because mm-hmm. I'm going back from I'm dealing with past, I'm dealing with present, and I'm also dealing with the future. Um, but also I'm looking at as I reimagine, I'm also deconstructing myself. Um what does that look like? I love the process. What does this process of deconstruction look like? It looks like, it looked like straight tears on your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crying, it's, it literally is like the tears, the anger, the why me? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe what's the last thing that made you cry um, so trigger warning my father died of COVID last, um, last year so mm-hmm. we went to my birthday he died on the I'm 6th, sorry. on the 8th he died between the 6th 7th of the 8th and before he passed we was having a lot of conversations like we actually reconnected that May of 2020, mm. um, after years of not speaking. Um, and during that time, there were moments he pissed me off, but mm-hmm. there was also moments there he spoke prophetically in my life. Um, but also in that process, uh, in his last days that we did communicate, it, I, I saw him deconstructing himself. Mm. Um, and the moments where I feel like I'm not a good writer, I have to run back to that conversation we had in January of last year, where he told me, Aubrey, I used to read the letters and the poetry that you used to give to your grandmother, Mm -hmm. you know, his mom. And he said, the way you are writing at that age, you are des- you are a true, a true writer, keep writing. So anytime I just don't wanna write, mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, am I saying the right thing? I can just hear him saying, keep writing. Mm-hmm. Um, or when I have to go back and think of how um, I faced very various forms of abuse, whether it was physical, emotionally, or mentally, Mm-hmm. Um, from men within my family or outside of my family and even women mm-hmm. um, don't cry sissies cry you know things of that nature and have to sit with that um and have to wonder like I have to I have to I have to reflect on that in order to get this done and it's sad to say this it's like why do I have to suffer in order to get this work out mm-hmm. It's like, why do I have to, why did I have to face this in order to 
do it. And as I write, you know, and this thing is due on. Assume. Yeah. On <laughs> that's when the real work begins. The month look, before I, the thing is due. <laughs> look, everybody that's listening to this podcast, I need, as soon as y'all hear this part, I need y'all to go in prayer because go pray. I, <laughs> pray it's a journey. <laughs> um, but yeah, having to deal with that, but also to, to know that I played a part in oppressing others. Mm-hmm. Well, because you may have learned that having a feeling was not acceptable. It wasn't acceptable. Um, and then you have to tell other people to not, and then you might pass it on to other people. Right. And it's just like, how do, how do you deal with that? You know, how do you mm-hmm. fit in that? And also to, to rewind, for three years, I was a member of a Southern Baptist church, a Black Southern Baptist church, um, where I saw how I played a role in teaching this toxic ass theology. Um, until this day, I regret that. What and is that? that? What is that theology? Because a lot of people may not know. Um, so white evangelical theology um, is basically a the KKK of religion, <laughs> where um, where evangelism is really colonization. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where you have the John MacArthur's, the Jerry Farwell's. Um, it's a list of them. Yeah, but like basically, you if you give your the job of the church is to make people give their life to Christ and right. to give their life Christ to Christ, Savior. Um, basically, you're dirty. You're 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 nothing without Jesus. Without Jesus. And um, I have to quote Mother Morrison, where she said, "God is not only interested in you; God is you." Mm-hmm. Um, she was like. <laughs> Before that was little Kim, that was definitely Tony. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I like, I truly like, it, it's that, like the know that I was a part of these toxic, the, the know that I played the oppressor in a lot of things mm-hmm. is one of the hardest thing about writing this. Mm. Um, and sometimes in conversations, I just have to sit down and be quiet and listen. Like, I didn't know, understand how much Morehouse had played a role in a lot of things until I read Ebony Marshall Terman's book. Um, and it's just like, wow, you know? Um, Which makes sense that that was not the first thing that you said in your introduction, because most Morehouse men love to tell you how they're a Morehouse man. <laughs> look. And when I speak of Morehouse, most of the time I'm speaking about my favorite professors or my homies mm-hmm. that I hung out with. But yeah, it was it's, it's a very challenging space. Institutions as a whole mm-hmm. is a very challenging space, even here. Yeah. The Union Theological um, yeah. Seminary is a very challenging Still a white, predominantly white institution. It's like, that's what it is. And it has a lot of flaws. I tell people all the time, these the white supremacist walls of the Union Theological Seminary. That's where, I'm, that's where I reside right now um, and study. It's very, it's very, just, it's, it's very hard. When you would have to do work that also corrects you, mm-hmm. it's beautiful, mm-hmm. um, but it's hard. If I had to give a title to how that feels, I would basically use the sermon I um, 
the title of the sermon I used for my dad, which is Between Grief and Glory. Mm. Because like it's grief in this. But the glory is I'm able to that one day somebody will read this work and be transformed mm-hmm. from. Yeah, I'm really um this podcast is very much on my mind because I kind of binged listened to it for the past couple of weeks is mm-hmm. um the violence that happens from spiritual spaces that have decided how you should and should not be as a person and how that toxic masculinity can destroy the souls and spirits of people. Like I, 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 women have been ordained in the Episcopal church since I've been alive. Like, I just don't even know what that is. And it doesn't mean that there's not toxic masculinity in the Episcopal church. Cause God knows we a white organization. We got, we got it all. <laughs> But I just, in my little spaces, did not, you know, women were on vestry, women were in leadership, like all of this was a thing. I just didn't understand that, like, I wasn't allowed to speak, that God didn't think my voice was prophetic, that God, like, I just, that is, that is painful for men and for women, because now you're missing out on the voices of people who are prophetically speaking into your life, because you don't think that women are allowed to speak. It's crazy that you say that because on Friday, I went to um, witness one of one of the greatest preachers of this time, um, Reverend Dr. Danielle Brown, pastor of Shallow Baptist Church in Plainfield, New Jersey. She just got installed um, mm-hmm. officially today, um, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see all the women in ministry from Dr. Gina Stewart, Dr. Cynthia Hale, Dr. Elaine M. Flake, um, about to be Dr. Um, Gabby Culture Wilkes, um, Dr. Reverend Dr. Dion, um, it's amazing to see that, mm-hmm. um, especially when she. Um, that night, actually, Dr. Stewart celebrated 26, 27 years of being the first pastor, first woman uh, pastor of the church she was a pastor of in Memphis, Tennessee. And she preached that. It was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and like she mentioned in her um, sermon, she said, Dr. Renita Wings said that Dr. Prathia Hall is in heaven rejoicing. And I'm like, yes. Like, it was just a monumental, um, a her stoic, historic moment. <laughs> as they said, I love it. Um, and it's just sad to see that they had to go through of being hushed, mm-hmm. um, of being abused in various forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was, watching them, I was thinking of my great-great-grandma who founded this church, mm-hmm. who was a missionary. And mm-hmm. she was a missionary in quotation marks, but she was really a preacher. She was a baby sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also when it comes to me and I look at uh, my own experience because I left that Southern Baptist church, Southern Baptist convention um, church because of 
that pastor wanted me to go to a Southern Baptist theological seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was younger during that time, I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm down for it. But as I did some work and did some research on the school, I'm like, this is not me. This is not me. So how did you find and, where you went to seminary? Oh, well, after getting shot down by the, and my name was being um, degraded in various spaces in that space, I literally had reached out to my professors. Mm-hmm. Um, and <sighs> crazy. The day that James Cone passed, Dr. James Cone mm-hmm. passed, I actually was applying to Union Theological Seminary in the classroom because my professor, Dr. Adam Aaron Parker, told me to apply. Somebody comes in the room and said, y'all know James Cone passed? Mm. My professor looked at me. He said, stop your application. Mm. He said, you're not going there right now. Um, he said, you're going to go up to Virginia Union. Now, I had my eye on Virginia Union my freshman year of college because Dean, um, Dean Carter, who was the dean of the Martin Luther King International Chapel at Morehouse, had sent me a recommend, um, send me, recommended me some books. And one of the books was Substance Things of Hope For, which is the um, autobiography of Sam DeWitt Proctor. Mm. And I read that, and that man's story was like, I was like, oh my God, I can be a pastor, a preacher, an ethicist, and a professor, and a president. I can do all these things, mm-hmm. uh, I'm down. And come to find out he was the president of Virginia Union. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was also the mentor to Dr. Jeremiah Wright. Right. Um, so um, reading that, but when he said Virginia Union, I was like, oh yeah, I could apply to that. And a lot of the preachers I liked went to Virginia, went to Virginia Union. Because the way they preached, I'm just like, oh my God, the way they just did that text is amazing. Mm-hmm. All of them, either they were a professor at Virginia Union or they were a student at Virginia Mm-hmm. Um, so I applied and I got in um, and I've been running ever since and I have not forsaken my blackness ever since everything happened in that violent space that violent spiritual space mm-hmm. um, but yeah spiritual violence is hardcore my, my pastor Dr. William Lamar he always says he always speaks of theological male practice about how um, in those violent spaces they embody that and use that to tear down um, humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where are you sitting now? Like, you haven't finished your paper, so God knows what the conclusion is going to be. But <laughs> <laughs> what? What text are you struggling with as you write this paper? What texts are most supporting you in, in your deconstruction and reconstruction of a, of a masculine gaze and a theological foundation? That is a big question. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that. I was talking to a friend the other day, and we were speaking about Morrison and how her her work has been um, viewed as a very heteronormative view of the masculinity in the text. And I had to sit with that. And I'm just like, this may be, this, this actually is real. How can I 
criticize, but also uplift the good pieces of it. Um, so that's one. Um, there's a chapter in Candace Bimbo's book where she speaks on the relationship of my father. I struggled with that because I've lived that. And it's the, sorry, I just want to, because I missed it. You said God the Father was what you said. No, her relationship with her father. The relationship with her father. Got mm -hmm. it. Um, and also in Dante Stewart's book as well, they speak of, he speaks of his experiences as a Black male, but she also speaks of her, her relationships with Black males. And as I'm looking at those, I'm just like, and that's how I look at it. I'm like, okay, I'm addressing myself. I'm addressing the church. I'm addressing the academy. And I'm addressing the public. How can I do all of this within these texts? Because as a writer, I'm not only looking at it from, I'm writing it for me, first mm -hmm. of all. Um, but also I'm writing it for those who embody this, embody this whiteness. And I'm also writing it for Black women who have experienced abuse because of this toxic masculinity, black masculinity. So I'm just like, how can I put all of this? Because I want this to hit every area. So the struggle I'm, I'm at right now is where can I pull Candace in, pull Dante in, pull Morrison in, pull Baldwin in to make sure I am creating a new hermeneutic so it can be embodied, so it can be in these churches and they can strip this white patriarchal masculinity that they've been embodying this whole time but also how can i go into the academy and do the same thing how can i because i me i'm just like i cannot leave no pieces out so look honestly y'all by april 8th y'all might have a good 100 pages it's supposed to be 40 but it might be a good 100. i was going to just say <laughs> that, um this is not supposed to be a thesis it's supposed to be a paper <laughs> They get you into your PhD program. So I'm going to need you. You didn't ask for my advice, but I'm going to give it. I will say this. The particular is universal. And then if you pick one of those gazes, personal, if you were able to do it, or other people's biography, then you can write your 40 pages and be done. Right. And then you keep those other chapters for your PhD dissertation for later. <laughs> I feel it. I'm rocking Just with saying. it. Look, Get that paper done. Look, and everybody, <laughs> y'all better listen to this. Because as I take notes, y'all better be taking notes too. Everybody should be taking notes. They're like, because sometimes, yeah, we trying to write a book. <laughs> Let me tell you. My thesis was like 150 pages. Wow. I turned in a 65 page paper, but <laughs> Jeremy was like 150 pages. Yeah. Let me talk about however comma. <laughs> however. <laughs> what y'all will get is 65 pages. That's what that's what look, needs to get turned need, in. Look, what if I, I might need to publish a book before I do a, a PhD? There you go. There so, you go. Yeah. So and yeah. you publish some chapters and and because I think was particularly as someone who is so grounded in uh communal expressions, I think it is helpful to also get feedback because sometimes right. we get so stuck in our head in the process of thinking about stuff that like 
part of why I did this podcast might ask me, I just had myself interviewed recently. Like, why'd you do this podcast? And I was like, I didn't want to get a PhD. And I want to know how other people are figuring out what they're supposed to be doing in their life. Because <laughs> wow. it is through that feedback loop that I'm learning new things about what should have been in the thesis, but is not now. <laughs> right. Listen, that's good though. And look, we thank you for this space because it's needed. Thank you. It's needed. And I'm honored to be a part of it because like we need to make sure most of the black body's work is celebrated, but also mm-hmm. acknowledged. Mm-hmm. You know, so many have been overlooked. Yeah. And I think that's true for so many different categories. Like um, so often when we talk about people pursuing a call or whatever. It's some ordained person as if lay people don't have a relationship with God. Right. Um, or <laughs> like yeah. I, most of the godly folks I know that are doing the pastoral care work are not, do not have a collar around their neck. And Listen, so. <laughs> I will tell anybody, I'm like, look, if y'all want to get, if y'all want some Jesus, go to Murder and Moncrief in Jacksonville, Florida and just sit with, and just sit on that corner. Um, I have an uncle, my great uncle named um, Danny. He literally, he was like, I had to read the Bible, but my grandma, my grandma, my grandma didn't play with us and like telling us to read it in the way these pastors try to read it nowadays. He said, sadly, some, you know, do go that route. However, you know, and he'll just go through and I'm just like, wow. But also too, what makes it so authentic is where God is just speaking. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the text is not even needed. Love it. You know, like, I love that. I love it when you can be in that space and you know how we all be at the, you know, we can all be hanging out. You can even be at a bar and you can just be like, now that's a word right there. You know, that is like- I say this all the time. This is the one thing about COVID that I miss deeply is that my happy hour locals I have not been able to just sit and freely have the spirits move the spirit through the space. (laughs) Jesus is a bartender. Y'all hear me? Jesus is absolutely a bartender. Like, you you don't understand, Aubrey. My ideal ministry experience would be that I was ordained to be a bartender of, like, my church. I wanted to be a pub. I wanted to be a place where people in transition live upstairs from the bar. And they work at the bar. They like do things at the bar. They can create the, whatever you want to practice. You want to be an accountant? Let's practice accounting skills. Like you would like, you build like a community center that is a bar pub. How much is the rent? Cause listen, I'm not, <laughs> I'm on my way. Look. The idea is that you work yourself. You, you, you do amazing. work for the space that's downstairs and then you live for free upstairs. That's amazing though. That's like my dream project. So anybody want to fund me, let me know. Listen, <laughs> everybody better fund. You got to put your cash app in the- uh, Cash <laughs> Listen, no, honest, no, honestly, I, I need y'all to fund. I need y'all to fund because that right there, do y'all understand how much work could get done if things like that were birthed? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I've always told myself, I said, when I become a pastor of a church, I'm just going to create a whole, a whole re- read and worship ministry where I literally have this space for those to come and literally partake as we just have these theological conversations. Mm-hmm. You know so I'm I have, saying? I'm going to quote you then, Aubrey. This is my last question for you. I'm quoting you. I did okay. find this tweet. I did, I did a little Googles. And you said the best sermons I've heard come from reading Baldwin, Morrison, Hurston, Giovanni, Lord, Hooks, and more. And so I wanted to know what's what's one of the best sermons you're hearing recently and preach it. Oh, why do you do this? (laughs) Y'all saw how she just challenged me? I did. (laughs) Oh my God. You training to be a pastor, boo boo. Mm. So it's in Toni Morrison's self regard mm. where she eulogizes James Baldwin and she said, You went into this foreign territory and decolonized it. Mm. And I challenge each and every one of us to do the same. Mm. I'm going to twist you. You ready? Okay. You go inside of the, the foreign territory may not be outside of yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's a good one. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, oh, bars. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like honestly, that, that's real. That there is, yeah. That there, that that every time I am in that moment of despair, that's that text. It's that and also God is not only interested in you, God is you basically saying that you are God. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm. Oh, More I, people. Yay, Aubrey. Uh, Thank you so much. Anything I didn't ask you that you were like, I'm gonna say this. <laughs> <laughs> um I just want to thank you. I really do. I want to thank you for this space. I want to thank our mutual friend, Kimberly Gordy, for connecting us. Yay, Kimberly. Um, People I, should hire her. Listen, <laughs> ministry so big. Lord, okay. have mercy. <laughs> like, love Kim. I really do. I, I truly, I do appreciate y'all so much because in a time like this with COVID and all the stuff that's going on with Ukraine, mm-hmm. these oppressive bills that are being passed, mm-hmm. it's always good to have a refuge that you could run to. Yeah. And I think this right here is a refuge that anybody can run to and you have created this space. So we thank God for you. Well, thank you. We thank the ancestors for you. We thank the ancestors for speaking to you to start this. When she asked, she was like, oh, Tamara, I was like, oh, I'm down. I'll do it. Like, I just, I love it. This was, this is truly a God thing that you're doing. Oh, thank you. And we thank you for it. You have created a clearing. And you are being baby slugs in this space. And we love you for it. I love that I'm being compared to a Zora Neale Hurston character. Okay. 
It's Tony. 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 Tony's character. Tony name the book. Now I'm gonna be beloved. Is beloved because yeah. I was about to say Blue Eye, and I was like, it's not Blue Eye. It's not Blue Eye. It's not Blue Eye. <laughs> if anybody didn't want to read Morrison's work, um, I do want to say something about that. Yeah, please. The first book you should read is Playing in the Dark, so you can get a concept of her methodology of writing. Mm -hmm. That stream of consciousness writing. Right. And then head into um, um, The Bluest Eye. Bluest Eye was the first book I read when I was in, I don't know why they let eighth graders read this. And I I actually kind of finished it. (laughs) But I kind of finished it. I almost finished it because I don't finish a lot of books in junior high school. Roll it Thunder, Hear My Cry. And Bluest Eye. <laughs> the only, like, author of that one again. Oh, oh my God. You're you going to get me. I'll figure it out later. We're going to have to Google. Because, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was like the one of the first. I was like, stories about Black girls are the only books that I care about. Listen, no, honestly, I'll tell all my friends. I'm like, look, now y'all already know. Mildred D. Taylor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So what, if I can ask you a question, what was yeah. that for you? What what has been the best sermon that you have heard from a Black from author? Te- I will say my 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 literary gospel is Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. That's my literary gospel. She don't talk nothing about the divine, really. But <laughs> that oh, woman, okay. let me tell Americana. you. Americana changed, but like the first book that I, I had, um, cause I went to Bard college, which is where Chinua Chebi taught mm. and at, in like most of his life. And so of course things fall apart is a thing, but I hadn't like, I've read it, but I kind of like fast read it for mm. school purposes. And then I reread it and then read her first book, which is purple hibiscus. Cause that's the one my family loves. Mm. It felt like things fall apart for the next generation oh wow i have to read it yeah you know purple hibiscus i think is actually one of her best americana is great for the story like she's just a crazy writer and makes you feel like you can never write anything as beautiful but (laughs) honestly i'm like oh my gosh yes like this since let me work on this and she's like she's like tony you know she inhabits some tony in her and stuff like in a different way but like inhabits that hold on let me just take a minute and reread this sentence because what did she just say (laughs) Right, look, you got to put it beside you while you're writing your papers. Okay, she did this, so let me try. Right. Let me try to make that sentence look the same way. <laughs> it just don't work. It just don't it doesn't work. work. It doesn't work. <laughs> but per- but I think she's she. There's just something about the way that she describes things that makes your body react to it. Like when she talks about the perming process and her white boyfriend filling her head and filling the scabs, like I can remember the scabs on my head. Wow. You know, I can, when she's, she's a moment, I think it's purple hibiscus or half of a yellow sun. She talks about um, like the, this, this, the servant boy walking in the sun and you start to like fan yourself, like the ways in which you get a visceral body, bodily reaction to her words that's now, the stuff <laughs> who does that to me and i i feel horrible for not mentioning mentioning this beautiful being dr michelle gertry mm-hmm. um the dean of spell for sister chapel at spelman college have you ever listened to a sermon of hers Mm-mm. 
Please do it. Now we're going to have to do it. So come on, like. N-I-C-H-E-L-L. N-I. I got Google. I don't know why I'm making my life hard. Michelle. Last name? Gertrude. Um, G-U-I-D-R-Y. Okay. So it's N-I, it's N-E-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. Gertrude. Powerful. Absolutely yeah. love what I know for sure by Reverend Nichelle G. Gertrude, G-U-I-D-R-Y. Yep. I will say this too. What's really interesting is I've been, I might have to see spirit be moving. I have to look at this one because I've been thinking a lot about this question of theological base. Um, because I, what I've noticed is that people who stop believing are people who never had an actual good theological base in the first place. Like the Christians that I know who are like, I am, you know, it's kind of like the mustard seed that got dropped right. on rocky soil. Come on. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, you got to know what you, what do you know for sure? And I've been thinking a lot, but like, what do I know for sure? Which is that God loves me. Period. Oh, God don't ride for me. Right. Right. Ain't nothing I could do. Ain't nothing I could say to make God stop loving me. Ain't nothing that I did. Ain't nothing that I said that made God begin loving me. Like, listen. <laughs> it's, it's y'all folks over there that done told me that God didn't rock with me but that didn't rock with me or that I needed to do something for all of a sudden to be loved on by the divine or that I I didn't do enough of something to honor the people that came before like I don't do stuff so that the next generation can do something for me I ain't gonna be here <laughs> don't be here I'm gonna be dead so like that part that part i'm gonna be living in glory hanging out you know <laughs> playing hockey with with jesus on the ice i don't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> look having a cookout with the ancestors having, having a cookout with the ancestors i don't know what y'all gonna be doing <laughs> i love it i love it oh don't my. do nothing for me do something for you for the next ones that are about to come <laughs> yes listen i'm i'm lucid. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this extended episode. Um, it has become harder and harder to do many things in this world as we all are going through it. And so um, I didn't know how to break this up into parts and it was stopping me from sending out any episodes. So I hopefully, I hope that you broke it up in a way that was necessary for your schedule. I hope you are hearing the supers in the backyard uh, working away and me recording in my apartment as I do. Thank you so much for following our random trains of thought and going from everything from toxic masculinity to sacred text to theology to how one writes a paper. Um, we did it all. Your homework this week, of course, is to grab any of those books. You can check out mybookshop.org slash shop slash pursuing call to see links to all the books that we talked about in this episode. Buy one. Support me. Support the work of uh, a local shop. And I think that's all. Read a book. Journal. Drink water. 
pray, take time for yourself, uh, enjoy the world, have grace. That was a lot of instructions. Most of all, love yourself and love others. See you later. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Pursuing Call. I can't wait to hear about how you are exploring God's voice so that you can participate in God's mission and dream for our world. Send your email and comments to Tamara at PursuingCall.com. That's T-A-M-A-R-A at P-U-R-S-U-I-N-G-C-A-L-L dot Com. You can also visit pursuing.call.com to learn more about what I'm exploring and envisioning and thinking about. Thank you so much and have a wonderful and beautiful day. Go in peace to love and serve.